Good morning. morning. I've been thinking about a a very important question I faced in my youth. It was um, after my freshman year at college, I was back home and back at the church in which I grew up helping out with Vacation Bible School. They had a great VBS program, and they had hundreds of kids coming, and they, w- they had a parking lot a lot like this in the front of the church, where, and kids would be uh, assembling there beforehand and uh, in, the, in the minutes, uh, eager for this vacation Bible school to, to start. We had uh, each grade level was uh, a different team, and they, they chose team names, and the teams would be competing through these, this two-week process. Uh, and they'd get a point for attending every day. They'd get a point for bringing their Bible. Uh, they'd get three points for uh, 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 com- successfully reciting a memory verse. They'd get five points for bringing a visitor, and then we would amass all those points each day and announce we'd have a leaderboard of what teams were winning, and at the end, there were, the winning team would, I, I think at the final party, they'd get a special watermelon that they would get to share on these hot summer days. Um, I was uh, one of a number of college students who were enlisted as team captains uh, to uh, oversee the younger kids there as, uh, as w- and you know, take them from class to class and lead them through this process. I had a group of fifth grade boys uh, who were wonderful, a bit rambunctious, but wonderful uh, to lead. And one of these mornings, uh, before the festivities started as the kids were running around the parking lot and having fun. One of the kids on my team came running up to me and said, Randy, Randy, I have a question for you. Is it a sin to to hit somebody with your Bible? (laughs) Think about that. How would you answer that question? Is it a sin to hit somebody with your Bible? Well, I wanted to get this right. You know, I was a college student after all. I had taken a philosophy course at a Christian college, so I should be able to figure this out. And so I said, um, well, if you're trying to hurt somebody, then it doesn't matter whether it's a Bible or a baseball bat. It's, uh, that would be bad to, to hit somebody with anything. But I don't think you're trying to hurt somebody. I think you're just playing tag, and, and you happen to have your Bible with you because you get a point for that, and you happen to, you know, to strike him with your Bible. So I don't know. If, if you're trying to show disrespect for the Bible, if you don't like your Bible and you're saying, no, nah, nah, you know, that's not good either. But I don't think that's the thing. I think it's just part of your life here. You've got the Bible because you're using the Bible in vacation Bible school. And so I think it's probably fine. And I turn to the kid, and he's long gone. He's gone running off to hit more people with his Bible, I'm sure. It's an important question, though, I think, for us. How do we treat the Bible? Is it this holy book that we can hardly touch, we can't use as we play with our friends, or is it something that is a a regular part of our lives? As some of you know, I, um, I used to work uh, full-time for American Bible Society. Now I'm still doing some freelance work for them. They do a survey every year of Americans and their use of the Bible. And uh, I've, I've been fascinated every year looking at these statistics to see what we learn about people. And one of the things that, that really, 
really kind of bothered me was how many people say they have a very high view of what the Bible is. They say it's the Word of God. It's inspired by God. We should learn it and apply it to our lives and take it as, as gospel truth. And yet those same people, there are so many of them who do not even read it once a month. They treasure it. They might even worship it, you might say, but they put it on a shelf. They don't dare to take it down. They might smudge it. They might rip a page or something, and that would be disrespectful for this wonderful book that they think so highly of, but it's not part of their lives. You know, it made me think about, made me think about dolls. There are different types of dolls, and, and if you have, uh, if you have young children, you may, you may recognize this. Let's imagine that some grandparent or some friend of the family, somebody gives you a gift of a doll, gives your children a gift of a beautiful porcelain doll, beautifully painted, beautifully crafted. It is a work of art and very expensive. And if so, of course, you thank the person. This is a wonderful gift. Thank you. Then what do you do with it? Do you give it to your kid to play with? Mm-mm. It might be dangerous. They might break it. Uh, it, it, it. It's certainly not safe. You put it up on a shelf. And then every time you pass that shelf, you say, oh, what a wonderful gift that was. What a beautiful thing that is. You admire it. You, you worship it in a way. What a great thing. Maybe another grandparent or another friend of the family or somebody gives your kid, let's say, a Raggedy Ann doll. Remember those, and I don't know if they still have those, but, but you know, whatever it is, that, that doll that kids love, that kids play with. And this doll, the kid embraces, literally and figuratively, carries it with them wherever, drools on it, sleeps with it, you know, fights with the dog over it, uh, the eye is falling out, the hair is all twisted and knotted, you have to sew the arm back on. This is a mess. And yet the kid will not part with it. So which is the Bible for you? How do you treat the Bible? Is it that porcelain doll that you put on the shelf? Or is it that part of your life, that companion that you take with you. We are in this series, Discipleship Jazz, and we've been uh, very much in the pattern of jazz music. We've been figuring it out as we go along. We've been learning about jazz music. What is it? And what principles are there that can teach us about how to follow Jesus? And one of the things about jazz music is that it refuses to worship music. It refuses to put music on the shelf there to say, oh, what a great musical piece there. Music is to be played with in so many ways. You play a song, but you also play with a song in jazz music. You have a score in front of you, maybe, but those notes are just suggestions, really, right? They're, they're, you are in the process of playing it. You find the spirit of that music. And the rhythm may change. 
You may bring a, a swing thing to it. You may go bebop a little bit with that. You, it may change. You may have fun with the rhythm, the notes. You may aim for that note, but you may hit 12 notes around it in the process of getting to that note in the score. Jazz makes music part of you as the creator of it and as the listener. And in the same way, we can treat the Bible not as a distant thing on a shelf to admire, but something to make part of our lives. There's a spirit in it that, needs to, that we need to interact with. Do you remember what the second of the Ten Commandments is? Now, the first one, God says, have no other gods before me. He knew the Israelites would be in a world where there would be other nations who would worship various other gods. Many of them would have a number of gods that they worshiped. The God of the Israelites was saying, I'm the only one. You're going to worship me, only me. There are no other gods before me. Second commandment is, thou shalt not make any graven images. Don't craft an idol. And again, the surrounding nations would make idols. They often in the form of an animal of some kind, of a creature of some kind. And they would, in Egypt and in Canaan and in Babylon, they would make idols of their gods. And they would fall down before these gods and these false, these idols, these things that they had crafted and worship those things. And the God of Israel says, you will be tempted to worship me like that. Don't. I cannot be contained in a block of wood, in a piece of stone. That is not going to define me. I am beyond all of that. I am a spirit that blows through your world and through your life. I am a creator God with more power than you could ever imagine. I am far more than that. You cannot contain me in this thing that you have made. No matter how beautiful it is, no matter how brilliant your crafting is, you cannot contain me in that. And yet, through the history that we find in Scripture, we find that sort of thing happening again and again. Not with, not with carvings of stone or wood, but, well... Other forms. The Ark of the Covenant, remember that? The holy box with gold all over it, with, with statues of, of angels and their wings over the top of it. And inside the box was a piece of the manna that they got in the, in the wilderness. It was uh, the, the, the staff of Aaron, the high priest, was there. Even uh, the, the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. Uh, ironically enough, that this command do not make any graven images, these crafted uh, stand-ins for the true power of God that was there in the box, but they began to worship the box. They would take it into battle on long poles so no one would touch the holy box, and they would say, we cannot be defeated as long as we have the God box with us. The power of God is here, and so we will win every battle. Take that, Canaanites. We got power right here. Until they were defeated, and the holy box was captured. That was a big deal. 
They were investing power in this thing that had been crafted and not understanding the full power of God that could not be contained. They were trying to contain it, to tame it, to use it for their own purposes. Later, it happened with the temple. They built this beautiful temple. Solomon spared no expense to create this temple. And it was a great thing. And once again, and, and I don't mean to say that God was not involved in the, in, in the commissioning of these things. God was in the creating of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. God was in the creating of the temple. But it became an object of worship over time. And you find at a, at a point where the prophet Jeremiah was predicting doom for the nation. He was saying, you have sinned, your corruption, your pride has brought you to a point where God is going to punish you by bringing the Babylonians in to conquer Jerusalem. And the leaders were saying, you're crazy, Jeremiah. That can never happen. We have the temple of the Lord here. Don't you see that big building up there? God lives there. That's where God lives. How could this pagan nation possibly come in and capture this city when the temple of the Lord is here? It's the temple of the Lord. Don't you get it, Jeremiah? It is the temple of the Lord. And yet it happened just as Jeremiah said. You cannot contain God even in a building of such beauty. They were worshiping the thing and not God himself. One of, the, one of the benefits, one of the silver linings, if you will, of the, of the Babylonian captivity was that the Jews began uh, meeting in synagogues. They, didn't, they couldn't go and perform sacrifices at a temple anymore, but they said, we can still get together and pray together. We can study the scriptures together. And it was about this time that the Old Testament scriptures began to come together, that, uh, that the, the priests and scribes began to assemble the Old Testament there in this time. And so they would read about God, and they would talk about God. Great thing. But that, too, became an object of worship. And we find in the time of Jesus that his greatest opponents were the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes, sometimes they're called the teachers of the law, they were in charge of maintaining the scriptures and studying every little bit, making sure that they were copied accurately as they were copied by hand. Uh, the Pharisees were, uh, took on the task of trying to make sure that everybody in the country followed this law. And they, they would make extra laws just so no one would accidentally break any of the commands in the law. And so you had this huge amount of laws there that the scribes and the Pharisees are enforcing and criticizing Jesus for what he was doing, how he was living, how his disciples walked through the land. And Jesus says at one point something really brilliant, something we need to learn from. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You are worshiping those scriptures, Jesus says. 
you study them diligently because you think that you're going to earn points to get that watermelon at the end of time. You think you will get eternal life because of your faithfulness in studying the scriptures, but don't you get it? These scriptures are talking about me, the Son of God. I'm the one who gives you life. Come to me for life. You're not coming to me. You are missing the point. You are studying everything about scripture, but you're missing the point. Come to me for life. I think we are in danger of this sometimes. The more serious we get about the scriptures, the closer we are to worshiping it rather than Jesus. We need to read the scriptures for that relationship with Jesus, to get to know him, to hang out with him, to learn how he wants to interact with our lives. We need to make those scriptures part of our daily interaction with the Lord Jesus and not just some science project, not just something we're writing a paper about. We so often read the scripture to find rules. Here, here are the things that I have to do to be righteous. And we'll read the scripture and so what? Well, this means I must do this. Yet there's so much more to be had than rules. Sometimes we read the scriptures for definitions and we keep our list of what God is like. There are theologians who, who create systematic theologies where they have figured everything out about God and they know exactly what God can do and what they can't do. God cannot be contained in a systematic theology. I don't want to tell God what he can't do. What I know is that God is a reality, and God is a reality in our lives, that we meet Jesus in the scriptures, that the spirit of Jesus flows through the scriptures and invades our lives and motivates our lives and pushes us and moves us. So yes, we do the right thing. Yes, we learn how to live because the spirit guides us in this. The spirit is bearing fruit in our lives, not because there are rules that we find in the scripture, but because there is a living spirit of God that we meet with in Scripture. One of the things about jazz music that I've been coming to appreciate, um, and by the way, <laughs> I'll just throw this in here, that uh, you know, Jeff and I are, are, are preaching about this, and from the start, we have acknowledged we are not experts in jazz music. There are other experts in jazz music, in this church even, uh, that we are learning from, and, uh, and we are reading, and we are watching documentaries. We are far from experts, but we do feel that there are some things that we can learn here, and we've been learning. So one of the things I've been learning is the power of the moment, that jazz thrives on expressing the unique energy of a moment. Every performance is different. This is why when you, when you get a recording of, of a jazz 
performance. It was often defined what date it was, if it happened at some club, if it happened in some recording studio or whatever. They defined what, what the date was and who the players were in it. That is very important to get that group because that exact thing never, never really happened again and it never happened before. That there was a moment in time when they were feeling the music, when they were bouncing it back and forth, when they were playing with it and something amazing happened in this moment. I think we need to think about moments when we study the Bible as well. As you read Scripture, what is the moment in Scripture where something is happening, where a person is changing? We, t- we were singing about the God of David, the God of Moses, the God of Mary. That each of those people had a, a moment, at least one, maybe several, of interaction with God where God changed them, where God showed up in a big way and changed everything about them, that they had a moment. What was that moment? Where do we see God impacting the lives of people in the scriptures as we read? And then we look for that moment, the powerful energy of God there, and then we compare it, we apply it to our moment. When you read the scripture, what moment are you in in your life? What struggles do you have? What questions do you have? What issues are you struggling with in that moment? And you take the moment of scripture and you bring it to your moment. How do they put together? Play with that. Play with your moment. Play with the biblical moment. And talk with God about how you can engage with that dynamic moment of the scripture. How do you do this? Uh, There's so many ways. And I think that's one of the things that we'll be discovering more and more in this series and beyond. How do we we riff with Scripture? How do we riff with prayer? What do we do to, to find something new in that? And I have a few suggestions that I'll I'll offer to you now. First of all, in terms of your reading habits. If you already read the Bible regularly, if you have a daily or weekly routine with you, perhaps individually, perhaps with your family, good, fine, I am not asking you to change that. That's a wonderful thing. If you have, are expressing that discipline to read the Bible regularly, that's a wonderful thing. If you don't, and if you want to get started on something like that, listen up. My suggestion, every so often you'll hear people say, read the Bible through in a, whole, in, the, you know, in, in a year, the whole Bible in a year. Don't do that. that that's way too much reading, and, and, and you'll, you will get sidetracked halfway through Leviticus if you get that far. Um, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying what you want to do is start in the Gospel of Luke, the third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, start in Luke. Read the story of Jesus in Luke, 24 chapters. Go on to the next John. The story of Jesus again, but it's different. It's more personal. You meet people. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, the blind man at the temple. You meet these people in the Gospel of John, and it's a different take on what Jesus is doing. So you've got the story of Jesus twice, and then Acts. Keep going. The book of Acts talks about the early Christians and what they were doing and how they impacted the world. We look into the lives of Peter and Paul and we get to know them and we see what God is doing and then keep going. Book of Romans, 16 chapters of what some have called the Constitution of Christianity. 
the basics of human need and the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. The basic theology of Scripture. These four books, you could stop there for a moment. <laughs> then Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 89 chapters. If you were to read one chapter a day, it would be three months. But I would go further and say, don't push yourself to read a whole chapter. If you get a few verses into it and there is something that stops you, if the Holy Spirit is saying, wait, wait, hold it, riff on this for a while, imagine something about this, think about this, stop, do that, think about it, mull it over, talk with a friend about it. You don't have to read 30 verses, you can read five verses that day, as long as the Spirit is guiding you in that process. Let it be a living, moment-by-moment thing as you go through the Scripture. And maybe those 89 chapters take you six months or a year. That's okay, because you are not trying to get through something. You're trying to get into it, and the Spirit is leading you there. Second thing, use your imagination as you read Scripture. Use your imagination. Whenever you read a story in Scripture, put yourself in that story. If you were there, how would you be thinking or feeling? How would you be reacting to what Jesus does? If you were in the crowd, if you were listening to the things Jesus was saying, if you were one of the disciples, what would you be doing and thinking and saying there? Use your imagination. If you were in the church at Rome when Paul's letter was read to the congregation, how would you respond to that? If you were on a panel discussion with Paul, what would you ask him? Use your imagination to put yourself inside the story. Third thing, deploy your art. Deploy your art. What is your art? Many of you know immediately. You are a singer, you are a dancer, you're an actor, you are a painter, you are a sculptor. You, you know what your art is. And you may not be a brilliant artist, you may not be a professional, that's okay, but there is something that you have great fun with and a certain amount of skill with. Use that in conjunction with the scriptures that you're reading. Riff on the scriptures using your art. Paint a picture of it. Write a play about it. Some of you say, no, I really am not an artist. I don't have any of those things. But you do something. You have a Facebook account and you regularly pay attention to how you are communicating with your friends. Maybe that's an art. You run a business and you're always creating charts of the workflow in the business, maybe that's an art. You could create a workflow of Jesus and his healings. Maybe. Be creative in how you think about your own creativity and bring that to your study of the scriptures. Riff on it. Interact with it. And the, the fourth thing, very simply, share this with others. Talk to others about it. If you're not in a Bible study group at Hope, Get involved in one. We have plenty of opportunities and go, go online to the Hope website and find, and find one. Get involved in a group Bible study. But even if not that, if you're too shy for that, then just find a friend or do it as a family or whatever. But share all of this riffing with the other people around you. Let them hold you accountable. If you want to keep reading the scripture, let them give them permission to check up on you and maybe they'll have a similar goal in mind. So make it a group 
project as well. I want to close with a, a verse, uh, Colossians 3.16. It's the uh, one verse we have on the screen here. And uh, this is just, it's so perfect for what we're talking about today. Let the message of Christ, the message about Christ in all its richness, fill your lives. That's what we're talking about, the raggedy Ann that you carry around through your life. The message of Christ needs to be that thing that you carry around in your life. It fills your life. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. That's the connection, the connection with other people. And get this, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. It gets to art in this passage and specifically to music and where it says spiritual songs I think that's a lot like jazz where the spirit of the music and the spirit of God are combining to create something beautiful as we respond to what we read in the scriptures let's not worship the scripture but let's make the Bible a part of our everyday lives and worship God as we do it let's close in prayer Lord, we're sorry for those times that we have uh, created idols and worship them instead of you. We ask you to fill our lives with your message. Teach us. Grow us. Let the Spirit blow through our lives and find new things. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks. Have a great week.